This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. Our book today has a great title, one I love. It says, Just Show Up. you got to do it anyway. And our author is David Stanley Gregory. David, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much, Jay. I'm really happy to be here. Tell me the genesis of this title, Just Show Up, you got to do it anyway. It's uh, not a long book to read, 76 pages. What was the inspiration behind this? Well, intentionally it's short because we, as humans, uh, especially in a very high technical age, don't take a lot of time to read as we used to. And I have found, uh, I found in my experience, my life experience, that the only way that I ever healed, changed, became anything was by committing myself to just showing up. And I had uh, several areas of my life from childhood up that I needed to attend to and heal. And I learned that the principle of showing up was the right way for me, the way that worked for me always. And it was a gift that I had learned so well that I wanted to give it away. Do you want to share any of those challenges that affected your early life and put you on this path of discovery? You know, I'm very happy to do that today. Uh, There was a time in my life when I wasn't because being transparent and authentic is sometimes a very hard thing to do when you feel very wounded because you don't want people to know who you are. And when I was growing up, um, I had a father that was uh, physically and mentally abusive. And he, in today's age, he would have probably been uh, diagnosed bipolar along with schizophrenic. But in, in this growing up stage with him, I suffered from severe depression. And uh, I had to, as an adult, learn how to cope with that. And the way I did that was I would hide everything about me and tell people a story that was not my true self. And in the process of doing that, I wasn't really helping myself. I was not healing. And it took a long time for me to uh, overcome uh, that depression. Along with that With a father of this nature, I also had a religion that he had put us into, and this was the Jehovah's Witnesses. And it was a very, uh, almost, I hate to use the word cult, and I sure have no judgments towards that religion today, but it is very, uh, uh, a very conservative approach and a very um, angry approach at how God looks at us. It It was a fearful study of the Bible. And, of course, that added to my uh, depression, along with uh, a story of facing the fact that I had a sexual um, uh, identity that had to be addressed. And finally, after all of that, I, uh, I realized that uh, 
I needed to drink. And drinking was a great thing for me because um, I developed I, I developed into a very full-blown alcoholic. But the drinks that I drank actually gave me a new life. And I started looking at things so much differently until the alcohol no longer worked for me. And I ended up in AA. My father committed suicide. My brother was killed in an automobile accident. And I was in a 12-step program. Thank God, because boy, did I need it. So that's a little bit about my history. And uh, I'm very happy to share it and share more of it because the transparency and the authenticity of who I am today allowed me to write this book. Tough beginning and a better finish, at least where you are currently. One of your chapters, one of your chapters deals with mandato- mandatory evacuation of the what-ifs and the shoulds, something I think every human on the planet can, can, uh, can relate to. Uh, what are your suggestions there? Oh, my goodness, yes. Well, um, I learned that I had to evaluate those guys. I mean, my God, you know, the what-ifs and the shoulds were everywhere. Well, what if this happens, or should I do this, or... I had a very overactive ego. In fact, one of my biggest uh, fun phrases is, uh, I'm schizophrenic and so am I. Just because all of the voices that I was hearing, and I wasn't connected to my heart center. I had no real connection with an understanding of the God of my understanding. And I didn't even like to use the word God, and I still don't a lot of times in my uh, teachings uh, uh, for my classes and retreats because... That has been a very hard subject for most people because of the judgmental and, uh, and, the, and the cruelty that, went, that goes with that term. However, when I started looking at spirit, the universe, the oneness, I was on my knees to find me a different way of understanding and changing the way I thought so I could have a better life. So the what-ifs and the shits were there, but I made a decision that, they were leaving. And so uh, I put out a thought in my head, and I saw this big board of directors. And every time the what-ifs and the shit showed up, I said, hey, you guys, I'm shutting you down right now. You don't know the truth. You don't know the truth of my future. I'm going to stay in the now. And, every, and, of course, that sounds real easy, but those guys kept coming up, and I kept using that tool to uh, shut them down. It really works. Well, from what you said, I, I would get the impression, I don't know, maybe it's wrong, but that you're a motivational guy. Oh, I'm very motivational. I didn't used to be. I was very withdrawn and, and very introverted, but not anymore. Um, you know, when you have a really good message and it's working for yourself, it, it would be um, wrong for me not to share this. It's, it's my journey. It's the service that I'm, I'm committed to, and uh, I'll be doing this for the rest of my life. Fabulous. One of the other chapters, Intention Means You Keep the Ruby Reds. What are Ruby Reds? <laughs> well, it's, it's really interesting that the uh, Wizard of Oz has so many spiritual connections. And the Ruby Reds are what, as you remember, Dorothy was after. Because when she had the Ruby Reds, she got to go home. So... When we keep the ruby reds, that means when we keep our eye on and we focus on the now, we are actually building a future that takes us home. Now, where's home? Home is anywhere we are. It's our heart center because the truth lives within each and every one of us. 
I found it for myself, and I found it in the classes that I teach, and I've watched people access the heart chakra to get the answers they need, get out of the head, and there's the ruby reds, because the ruby reds, they're wearing them. Man, they're on their way, and they're having a ball. How do you address fear in, in the individuals you're teaching and lecturing? I, I address fear as a loss of freedom, because the moment we live in fear, we immediately lose freedom, and we're no longer able to have what we're really here to have. Many of us are gifted with so many things, but because we doubt ourselves, have the fear that it might not work, we lose that freedom of trying. For me in my life, the moment I have fear is the moment I do it, because I know that that's the motivational step that's going to give me the nirvana I'm looking for. And that means fear of writing this book. The minute I had a touch of that, I immediately got busy. Describe the triplets of success that you have uncovered. Describe the triplets? Yes, the triplets of success. What are they? Would that be faith, trust, and showing up, perhaps? (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm hesitating because I want to make sure that I give you a very authentic answer. In... The triplets of success, the first thing is, is we have to know who we are. We must know who we are. And when we find out who we are, we're really going to love who we are. The next thing is, is to fall in love with ourselves. That's number two for me. And number three would be, once I truly love myself, hey, but I can love everybody. And I can be there for everybody. It's not, I'm not going to be changing their lives or fixing their lives, well, I take that back. I would be changing their lives by not fixing their lives, meaning in their emotional drama of watching me or being with me and I'm standing next to them and loving them through a crisis or just a situation, because I love myself enough, I would never engage in their lesson. I would allow them to have it. I might give them a suggestion but I'd always stand next to them and let them learn that lesson and never take them out of their lesson because then I wouldn't be enabling them to have to go back and do it again. Does that answer your question? Yes, I think so. Uh, Effective writers and and teachers and motivators usually are individuals that have come through some life challenges. What was the hardest life challenge that you faced? Forgiving my father, which I have done. Because when I got healthy myself, I realized that the reason he had treated me and my mother and our, the rest of our family the way he did was because he was so deeply wounded. Now, why was he wounded? Well, he was wounded because of what he had gone through as a child, which I found out about more later. And once, I think once you realize that... Um, what's going on with another person. And and he wasn't at that point where he was willing to change because he didn't realize really what was wrong with him. He didn't make that choice in this lifetime to do that. So I had to come to a point, and it was after his suicide, uh, that I honestly forgave him and knew that his true soul, the guy that he really was, um, I had never been really able to access because there is not a soul on this earth, in my opinion, that isn't pure, perfect, and whole when they get here. We might have to make some decisions and changes, 
but the God of my understanding does not create anything that is not perfect. Well said. Club nudges, what does that represent? Okay, club nudges, that's going to be a lot of fun. I just started that. Um, I'm doing a Phoenix uh, Rising Daily Nudge uh, on Facebook right now, and it put me into a thought that I better start thinking about remembering some of the meditations that I do in my classes. So I'm writing meditations every day for a meditation book that I'm going to have um, published at the end of this year. Well, then there came a point where I'm getting a lot of people asking me a lot of questions, and I thought, well, let's have some fun here. This is supposed to be fun. This is not supposed to be so hard and so grueling that we can't have some fun. So I've developed Club Nudge, and what that is is that I'm a nudger. I don't fix you, but I nudge you to get you into the heart center of who you are because the still small voice that lives within us has all the answers. So Club Nudge, what is going to happen is on my website, people can write in to me, and they will give me a situation that they're in, and I will give them a spiritual nudge. I won't tell them what to do or how to do it, but I will give them a spiritual nudge of something possibly I've learned, heard, read, whatever. And then they will make the final decision on whether they choose to follow that nudge to help them heal, or maybe they're going to have to hear it from someone else. But at least I'm going to offer all the information I have to that person so that they can start healing. David, how long did it take you to complete this project, this book? And who would you say is going to benefit most from reading it? Hey, I was totally channeled on this. I started, I was not going to write it until I moved to Orange County. I was in Michigan. I was uh, in Douglas. I was on on Lake Michigan and uh, was just finishing up a class. I was moving to Orange County uh, for the winter months because I wanted to teach out in Orange County because there's a big recovery crowd in there, in that area. And this book really is about recovery for the recovering. It's the next step up, along with um, some nice uh, areas of some of my understanding of non-separation for the gay community. Oh, we don't need to be separate anymore. There's no longer an option. So to answer your question directly, I started on that on the book late August. I ended uh, the book in I knew that I was on the last chapter late November, and then I started the process of revising a touch of it because most of it was came through so quickly, and it was also true and so much truth. But there was nothing to change. It was more about grammar and making sure that my word was powerful enough that people would understand what I was saying. So. As you know, it's 80 pages, and uh, it has a very poignant, uh, direct message, which I call blue-collar spirituality, meaning that we put our work in, we get it done, and then we reap the rewards, and we manifest what we're looking to do with our lives. Fabulous. One of your final chapters is Be the Star of Your Own Show. Good motivational challenge and a good, good title. Were there other challenges in, in completing this book? What were the challenges? Yes, sir. Were there challenges that made it uh, a complex task, or did it come easily? No, no, it was not complex at all. It would have been complex two years ago. It would have been complex ten years ago. But when you're connected 
and you and I finally have worked through all the big things that I needed to work through in my life. And when I made the decision to be totally transparent, totally authentic, totally transforming, I mean, I sat down at the computer and, I mean, it just came through. It's like I'm also a painter, and uh, whenever I work in oils, I lose touch with what I'm doing until the final uh, canvas is done. Then I look back, just like I did with the book, and I and I tweak a little, but not much because I've given such an authentic story here, and I have. And when I paint, I get lost in the in what I'm doing. That it absolutely comes out the way it should. I do not overanalyze. I'm more direct and to the point. And that is what saved me personally, and it's something that will help so many other people so that they stop the analyzing uh, their lives and analyzing God and the understanding of God and just get down to some basic truth. For other listeners like me and readers who have a short attention span, this is a perfect-sized book, 80 pages, the title, Just Show Up. you got to do it anyway. And our author is David Stanley Gregory. David, where can our listeners get copies of your book? Well, it just went live about two weeks ago. It's online. It's already selling uh, quite fast, which I was real pleased with. surprised me because I haven't really done my marketing yet. Um, but the, the word got out that I have done this book, and it's available on Barnes & Noble online. It's also an e-book, and it's available at Amazon.com. And is there a possibility they could link with you through a website? Absolutely. Um, I just have finished the website. It just went live as well. I had one, and I updated the one that I had, and it's called Phoenix Rising, Newport Beach. And I will be doing classes and uh, retreats in Orange County in the winter months along with Sedona, Arizona. And I will be on the shores of Lake Michigan doing the same thing for the summer months and probably the Grand Traverse Bay area. Well, somebody's got to do it. I'm glad you're able to. It's a, a good book. Just show up. you got to do it anyway. Thank you, David, for sharing the story behind the, uh, the inspiration of this book. Oh, you're very welcome. And I, it, was, it was my pleasure to have an opportunity to tell you about this book and, and why it was written. For iUniverse, this is J. Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host... 
Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Stay Out of Real Estate Jail, Your Lifeline to Real Estate. And the author is Barbara Bell Olson. And Barbara joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Barbara. Hi, how are you? Great to have you with us. Uh, This is quite a book to really protect the buyer or seller of real estate. Your passion, your dedication is there. We're going to learn more about that in a moment. But let me read just a couple statements that you've written about your book. Uh, And they're uh, very direct, and they're obviously uh, come with a huge belief and belief level that you've uh, gathered over many, many years of experience. You say, stay out of real estate jail is educational for realtors worldwide. New to the industry or seasoned professionals, it will become their real estate Bible or reference manual. Well, that's all-encompassing, and obviously uh, you feel very strongly about this. I absolutely do. It's it's uh, a definite necessity for everybody out there. I wrote it directly and initially for realtors and really to protect the public. That's what it's about. So it's a starter kit for those just entering the real estate industry, and it's also for the seasoned, experienced agent. Absolutely. When we, uh, when you're just starting out, you really need a plan, a guideline, a, a chart of what you're going to do, and it relates directly to writing the contract. And that's where we want to protect everybody out there, the public. So if them ourselves, you know, then we have to have a plan. So the plan is follow what's in Stay Out of Real Estate Jail. The guidelines are there, the concerns you want to use to double check and make sure are talked about with the public and then either added to the contract or separately and sort of reviewed with the public. And so it's not just new people, it's experienced as well. We seem to become complacent in real estate when we're experienced. I mean, I've been around 35 years. And, yeah, sometimes I think, oh, well, I know it all. I never know it all. It changes so often, and we have to keep up to date. We've got to look after the public so that they are protected. 35 years experienced realtor, Uh, you've probably seen about every situation there is, and as you are trying to emphasize here, the importance of writing this contract of purchase or sale is critical, really, for the benefit of all involved. It absolutely is. You know, we all have uh, belong to associations and have real estate councils, etc., and that's who we report to, and um, or an association. Depends what the word is on the area you live in. But they have a mandate, and, you know, most of them, their mandate is to protect the public. And I was sitting there thinking one day, well, if we're supposed to protect the public, who's protecting us so that we can do this? You know, we get tons of paper and in orders and instructions thrown at us almost daily, that's exaggerating, but, you know, it changes so often. There's a change in the industry. There's a change in something, and we can't keep up with it all. So that's what made me write the book and at least have 
the main items there that will protect the public because if you write them and use them that way to suit where you live, then you're protecting yourself and the public, and that's what our mandate is. There's too many times realtors have a bad name, and and it just makes me so upset when I hear that. You know, they jump in, they want to make a fast buck, they don't care what happens. Well, where I'm from, which is in British Columbia, Canada, we get rid of those people, and I know the National Association of Realtors in the States does the same thing. So let's not have that image of ourselves out there be proud. Let's work together and let's really help everybody. Besides being a realtor yourself, you've also been in management. Give us a little, you know, little brief view of all of that background you have. Well, I was originally jumped in the game uh, as a uh, realtor and uh, that was quite a scare. I didn't know what to do. There was no training in those days. Nothing happened. And uh, so eventually I figured that one out, and some of that story is in Stay Out of Real Estate Jail. And then um, eventually later on I became a managing broker, and I loved it. Except, actually, I must admit, the first day I was a managing broker, I went in quite proud, strutting around thinking, oh, this will be fun to be a managing broker. And two people were in a fight over commission in my office. And I thought, if this is being a managing broker, I don't want it. (laughs) I just about had a fit. So anyway, then I carried on, and I ended up buying my own um, uh, brokerage, and it was at that time called Well Banker Bellows and Realty. And so I built a little wee boutique-type house uh, in Kitsilano, quite a trendy area in Vancouver, B.C., and so I built that and managed that and did everything and uh, had a wonderful time and the best agents in the world. And then uh, it was time to move on up for me. And so I moved over as managing broker to Royal LePage Westside in Vancouver. And I guess the one thing I'm the proudest of there is uh, every one of my realtors came with me. And that's actually something because every other company was recruiting them with, you know, come join us. We'll give you a year free to work here. And nobody went. Everybody came with me. So that's where I am now, managing broker, Royal LePage Westside and in Vancouver. In your book, I see a title of a chapter, a real estate agent's job description. What are some of the most important parts of that job description? Well, it isn't make money. <laughs> I know a lot of new people think, oh, well, let's go do this and, and jump in. It isn't. The mandate, I'm sorry to say, I know I'm repeating myself, is to protect the public. But your job description is to work together. All of us as real estate agents need to cooperate and work together. We'll get further ahead because in the end we protect the seller, we protect the buyer, and we protect ourselves. And, you know, our business would actually grow if we work closely with our colleagues and associates and do that kind of thing. So I believe that uh, in your job description, you need a checklist for every step of the way. 
what you're doing, how you're doing it, following up, and the most important thing is honesty and integrity. Well, let's talk about this famous five subjects in most contracts. That seems to uh, jump out as a a very important part of this. Okay, the five subjects, did you say? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, they actually got named the famous five by the realtors up here when I teach my uh, courses up here. And all it really means is if you don't talk about five subjects, possible subjects, with your client customer, then you've forgotten something. So they really are important, and it's amazing. They're usually almost always the same. And so and that's only being in generalization. There would be subject to financing, right? You're subject to uh, insurance. And insurance has become a critical one for us up here, and I'm sure it is in the States as well, and subject to an inspection. Now, the other two are obtaining a copy of and approving the title search and obtaining a copy and approving a copy of the property disclosure statement that the seller fills out, if they fill it out. And so we've turned those two now to be statements property disclosure and the title insurance and uh, sorry and the title search and so we want to try and get those up front when we first see a property because they give us so much information to know what has to be disclosed in a contract if there's anything on title we need to worry about if there's a material latent defect and that kind of thing so they really are the main five concerns are the financing the insurance, the inspection, the property disclosure, and the title search. And then you go from there and you do your property specifics, and that would be what relates to the particular property that you're buying. About half your book, it looks like, uh, deals with, as it says in Chapter 7, common contract statements. This is where you're really really teaching all the uh, explanatory clauses, phrases, statements, all all of that so-called stuff or property specifics. Okay, this is really, there's really an order. I do my contracts, and I'm not meaning it's correct, but I do my contract, I then do all the statements that you just mentioned, and then I do the famous five, the subjects, okay, and then I go to the stuff. But the 32 items you mentioned are really a checklist. You know, like I said, a pilot, thank God, doesn't fly without going through his checklist because I wouldn't want to be on his plane. You know, if he doesn't know what he's doing, forget that. I don't, you know, he sits there, he checks every item off. We as a real estate agent should be doing the same thing. So we check off, do we need this statement or don't we? So they're there as a checklist or there as a reminder a uh, number of them, yes, you will put in your contract and uh, probably in most of your contracts. The others are just a reminder to not forget about them. So you would put those in that you need and then you carry on and then in my way of doing it, which like I say is not mandatory by any stretch, I then would go and put in my famous five subjects, which would be three subjects. And then let's suppose it was a rental property. That would be the property specific or the stuff. And then I would start and put that in. 
And if you continue, honest to God, if you just do it in a proper order and do everything the way it's laid out, you'll never forget anything. You'll be thrilled with your contract. You'll be thrilled uh, when you win the contract. And, you know, even your colleagues will be impressed. They don't have to rewrite your contracts. They're up to date. They're perfect. And meanwhile, this whole thing that's happening is the public are protected, you know. And the public now, like I said, are even buying this book to see the 32 items, etc. that hopefully their realtors including, if need be, in the property that they could be buying. So it's, it's a win-win. And you're saying if people will, you know, if the realtors will follow your plan here, they're going to be more successful than ever. You're not kidding. And they're going to be satisfied, and even more so, they're going to be fiercely proud like I am to be a realtor, and they're going to be proud if someone ever looked at the contract. You know, I saw one the other day, and I just about had a heart attack. That realtor was making an awful lot of money. And the contract was the worst I've ever seen in my life. It was written on an old form, so it's not even enforceable, an old contract form, so it's not enforceable. It, um, the appliances that were going to be included were just stated as per the MLS listing or whatever. They weren't specified out. Nothing. It was, it was absolutely awful. And I honestly, if that went on the internet, and would that person be proud? That was what they were doing to protect their client. No. So not only protection, but great success for everyone involved in the industry. And part of that is you you are offering time saving concepts here. Absolutely. It you know you you set it up once and it's done. You don't, you know, don't waste your time. Do it once. Have it ready to go. Check through it, and there you go. Was is there anything controversial in your book? I I can't think of anything directly offhand, to be honest. Um, I do, you know, there might be different areas um, where people. No, I, I can't think of anything. I guess you might touch some nerves of those who are, as you put it, a little, have become complacent and, you know, not even sloppy. Yeah, that that's true. Yeah, they might be a little bit angry with me at saying, hey, let's get it together and, and let's do it. And how easy it is. You know, they just sit down, write it, and off they go. Well, that's not the image we want to portray to everybody. We want to be proud of what we do. We want to... You know, we're a real estate family, you know, and yes, we're a competitive family, but we're still family. So we have to work together, and if we all do that, life will be easier. If you just sneak off and and uh, write something and throw it in front of the seller and back and forth, and you're not proud of it, it's not right, and somebody gets hurt, that's wrong. That's just wrong. Stay out of real estate jail, your lifeline to real estate. We've been listening to author Barbara Bell Olson. Barbara, tell us, how do we get your book? Um, It is at iUniverse, and it's certainly in Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And I hope 
people will also look at my website um, and see what else is available. It's www.barbarabellolson.com. And there's some information there on more on the book and, and that kind of thing, but the book's definitely out there in the public for sure. Thank you so much, Barbara, for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a great day. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Megan's Cry, and the author, Gregory Pollock. And Gregory joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Greg. Hello. Pleased to be here. Great to have you with us. Let me read just some things you've written to kind of set the stage a little bit more about your book, Megan's Cry. As you say, it's a beautiful love story. Once Megan cries out to God, she begins a journey with a total stranger and a welcoming Heavenly Father. When she begins, so does God. She finds her mother was right. God really is trying to teach us something every day. And, of course, with simple faith, she steps into the life she was meant to live. So... Things can really be tough, but often there's things to learn, and God is—he's always there. Yeah, I, I think, and sometimes God brings us into a place where we have nowhere else to turn to but Him, and it can actually be a good place because it can be a place where He begins to change our situation in our lives and our hearts. Um, and I think He does have a wonderful plan for people. You know, if we can believe. Right, and that often is really... He helps us while we're in the world, but he doesn't... God helps us while we're in the world, but he he doesn't take us out of the world. So he helps us deal with our lives and see his plan. He has a plan, and sometimes, you know, um, bad things do happen to good people. Well, we have to keep an eternal perspective on things, and that often is very difficult, especially in this... Uh, realm of mortality. Uh, Greg, tell us a little bit about your background before we get into the details of your book. A little bit about you and why you decided to write this book. Well, I I was born and raised in Neely, Nebraska, uh, in northeast Nebraska, and I attended the uh, University of Nebraska in Lincoln. Um, 
to get a degree in civil engineering. I actually have worked for over 33 years for the Department of Transportation. Um, I had an illness uh, in 1992, um, and I was pretty well uh, uh, stricken. I, I lost my, my wife at, at that time, and it was pretty painful, and so I actually wrote sort of for therapy. And, uh, and then later, when the, the book changed as I became more Christian, I kind of incorporated the Lord or God into the writing, and it became Christian fiction. But one thing, when I got done with the book, and I look at the world as it is, and I see that today, like, well, in the communities I grew up in when I was growing up, I mean, people never gave concealed carry a thought. You know, they weren't thinking that. And so, you know, I was hoping, as I saw my book going back and the kind of, you know, family Megan had, the kind of raised upbringing in the, her family, um, and the kind of life that she moved into, that, you know, um, it would be good for people to hear that and to might revive, you know, some simpler times, you know. So that's part of what I saw later, after it was done. So Megan Richardson, 38-year-old divorcee, she's got a 10-year-old son, and then her life really changes a great deal when she reads a letter from her departed mom. Yeah, I mean, she's her whole world's closing in around her, and she reads this, her mother's final letter to her over and over, and these words, the Lord will soon complete your family, really confuse her, because she's wondering, like, how can my mother know something like that? And Megan had always known that her mother possessed a special kind of faith and some kind of spiritual gift. But there was no way that her mother, Claire, could see, you know, into the future. And so it was just beyond the realm of human, human possibility. So she's just wondering how that could be. And then she, you know, learned, she returns to her job in Madison, Wisconsin, as a nurse. And she's just disappointed, and she's hurt, and she's got all these questions. Why, God? You know, why my mother? And there's just no reply. You know, it's just a quiet stillness. And one Friday morning, she runs to her patient, Sarah, and Sarah's a six-year-old little cancer patient, and Sarah saves Megan from a panic attack. And when this happens, Megan sees this little girl as a thousand times bigger on the inside than she is on the outside. And it opens up this question again, you know, is God really at work in this little girl? So... Then she's still floundering, trying to work, all, you know, becoming depressed. She takes the advice of her best friend. She returns to the family farm. And that's where she starts asking, what if I don't get better? What will happen to me then? And then, um, sitting alone in her room, she spirals into this deep depression, and she cries out to God, and God is there for her. He's always been there for her. And then over the next six days, you know, the, the Lord changes her situation and her life, and she finds this life and this man that she was meant to live with, live her life with. So it all kind of happens right after she cries out to God, and it's this time that she spends with this Darren Weston that her father, when her, when her mother had gotten ill, had hired 
this Darren Weston to help operate the dairy so he'd have more time to be with Claire. And he's there as hired help. But this girl, again, she has this 10-year-old son, and uh, Darren's taking the boy fishing and stuff. So all of a sudden, you know, they begin to, you know, touch each other. I mean, or Megan comes to where she begins to know this Darren, and they begin to talk and do things together over that six-day period. So your book is unlike a lot of romance novels because it addresses, it addresses some very critical spiritual questions. Well, I think, um, you know, when people date, um, a lot of times they, they might, you know, a Christian Christians ask, is this the right person for me, God? You know, I mean, am I, dealing with, am I dating the right person here? And I think that um, Megan's Cry as a r- romance novel you know, deals with adding God to the story that a lot of times, you know, um, more secular romance novels would never, never do. That's true. Now, we all know there are times when we face real adversity, sometimes more than we think we can handle, and of course that brings uncertainty and fear and doubt. And your book is really trying to help us understand, you know, when we get to that point where we start asking these questions, uh, especially questioning God, uh, you know, almost is like he's betrayed us, and we start wondering, is he really there? Uh, Does he really have a plan for my life? Your story just kind of opens up the real truth behind it all. Yeah, I mean, if you look at how many people today are stressed and even maybe depressed over maybe financial uncertainties or their families' uh, futures and problems. And you, I think there are readers out there who can relate to what Megan experiences in this book. Um, and their problems, you know, I think in, in, I've had a little bit in my life when the problems just seem too big and too hard and too painful for me to solve. And Megan's cry... You know, it comes to the reader, you know, where they are, you know, and it encourages them to come to Christ and kind of let Christ take away their fears and, and bring them some joy, you know. And, and the, you know, Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven, you know, and the kingdom of heaven was inside of us. And I think if we, you know, can let Jesus in, that kingdom can, can bring us peace and joy. And the real key issue, if we only believe. That's a big thing in my book. I I tried to fold that a little bit or make it larger and, and emphasize um, that I wanted the readers to know how that, they, that there was this plan for them. If they could only believe, to step out in faith and try to believe and cast their burden on on Jesus. That is critical. That is critical to find peace. Why was why was writing chapter 16 when Megan cries out to God? Why was that so challenging for you? Yeah, the middle of the book is when uh, Megan cries out to God and actually, you know, I need help, Lord. You know, I just, I can't do this on my own. And I had kind of done that on my own um, years ago, 20 years ago. 
and I didn't remember it. But, you know, the thing about that was bringing God into her life. And God doesn't just jump out and go, hey, I'm God, and I want to have a talk with you. So God doesn't speak to us audibly. And to bring about this change where she sees God's on her side, God's with her, God's going to change her, and not have God talking to her. Like, you can't write that. You have to, you write it, but it's, it becomes harder to write. I think for me it became more difficult to write because it was so subtle that, and in the end, I mean, she, also, she picks this idea up. If I can only, if I can only, if I can only believe, then I'm going to, you know, be better, get better. And you do that without having God come down and tell you I'm right here. She just, you know, all of a sudden, you know, has this experience, and then she believes that God's right there. So it's a little harder. It's a little different. You can't. It's not like just two people having a dialogue. <laughs> Dialogue's out there. And often, but I, I think I think it was uh, it worked out. Okay. I think it worked out well, and um, I think it's very believable. And often, God places people in our lives that at first we may not see how they might help us, but in this case, Sarah, the little one, the six-year-old. She becomes the nurse, and the nurse becomes the patient. Yeah, and the little girl, you know, is sort of symbolic of childlike faith. You know, if you, you, you're a father, you've got kids, and they come up to you wide-eyed, and they just speak what's on their mind. And children are, you know, so pure and, and so open, and I think God is just filling them up every day. He just fills them up. And so that childlike faith was in Sarah. That's what I think of it. You know, I think there was, I think there was that she sort of did things with Megan that Megan thought was, you know, almost extraordinary or, or almost miraculous, miraculous, but really it was just her wide open love, you know, and, and her, her open heart that, a lot of, you know, us adults, I mean, adults like us, we kind of shut that up. And that little girl, you know, little little girls and little guys, they can, little children, they, they just open up and they just do that naturally. Well, we all have probably, especially those of us who are a little older, remember a time when families and neighbors were really close and your hope is that Megan's cry might revive the love people shared in those simpler times. My parents, when I grew up, had so many friends, and they hosted card club, and the people in the community really cared about one another, and they would laugh. And, you know, I have seen things uh, since I've written Megan's Cry, and I think I want to mention it since I've written it, I've become a little more sensitized to, you know, the violence in the world, and it saddens me, and I, 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 I really would like to think that I might have done something with this book that gives people something clean and pure and fresh and, and brings them to a better place, you know, with Christ, that they can take away the violence. You know, one thing 
when I titled this book, Megan's Cry, um, that word cry, actually what happened, John the Baptist came out of the, the desert, and he was crying out to the people for them to repent, and he was telling them that the kingdom of God was near. And he asked them, you know, to forgive one another, and he asked them to do violence to no one. And I, I guess I, later on, after I, you know, named it Megan's Cry, I think of that quite often now, that just like John crying out to the people saying, you know, God is going to come, God is coming, and just be good to your neighbor. You know, don't do harm to your neighbor. So, um, yeah, that's, it's, it, it may seem a little odd to you, but um, that's a big, big thing of, of the title. That's what it reminds me of. We've been listening to Gregory Pollock. He's the author of his book, Megan's Cry. Gregory, tell us how we get your book. Well, the book's available on Amazon.com and Barnes & Noble, uh, iUniverse. Um, anyway, I um, hope, I mean, I'll keep talking to people, and hopefully uh, if I can get people to you know, get on Facebook. I have a Facebook page uh, for Gregory Pollock that they can get on. They can make comments or, you know, and, you know, just let other people know that they, they enjoyed the book if they did, if they did buy it and they did like the book. So that would help greatly to, um, to, you know, get the book, you know, a little bit better known. Greg, thank you so much for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Oh, well, hey, thanks for having me very much and have a good, have a good day. And I hope all the listeners will, well, you know, give some thought to look in the book over. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.